0: This morning, we are uh, moving into the fourth week of our series on Jesus. And last week, uh, or the first week, we actually be- began the series talking about Jesus as my friend. The second week, we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. The third week, last week, we talked about Jesus, the miracle worker. And and I would just say to you this morning, I think those are very good characteristics and qualities to talk about Jesus. And, and, and I would think for the most part, many people, even in our in in our world outside of the church, they like those qualities about Jesus too. I think that they like the fact that Jesus could be your friend. People like the fact that Jesus uh, can be a good shepherd where he leads and protects. People really like the fact that Jesus is a miracle worker because everybody at one time or another will need a miracle. And so they like those qualities about Jesus. They like hearing about Jesus the friend. They like hearing about Jesus the miracle worker. They're okay with that. But, but today's uh, subject, today's uh, subject we are talking about is, is really where we truly draw the line in the sand. And this is where, where the rest of the world, many people outside the church, and even some within the church, uh, sadly enough, uh, this is where some of us differ on our view about Jesus. And so today we're going to talk on the subject, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Have you ever met somebody in your life or known someone or or been around someone who's made like pretty bold claims about themselves only to find out that when they were tested those claims weren't really true? Anybody ever known anybody like that? People just make claims. Maybe that was you. Maybe you made some claims about yourself and then when you got tested it was revealed it just wasn't true. This, this all came uh, head on with me in the fifth grade. I, I, I remember this clear as day. Uh, and for this, we're Facebook Live now and stuff, so I won't say their names. I'm going to change the name for just for protection. Um, uh, but in the fifth grade, there was a guy named Antonio. Antonio, fifth grade. Antonio was the guy. He was the tough guy. He was the guy that everybody knew not to mess with. Antonio was the guy that could fight. Antonio was the tough guy. Antonio was the strong guy. There was stories going around about Antonio. Antonio once fought 10 kids and put three of them in the hospital. Fifth grade, right? Fifth grade. But that was the story about Antonio. Antonio was the guy you just do not mess with. And so for the whole school year, people did not mess with Antonio. In fact, people wanted to be friends with Antonio because they didn't want to be on his bad side. Because they heard all the stories, even the, the claims that he made about himself, everything about Antonio. So, one day, there was this tall, scrawny kid who decided to pick a fight with Antonio. And so, we the the, the whole grade, the whole school was like, "Oh man, I feel bad for this guy. I feel bad for him, man. It, man, he doesn't know who he's met, messing with. Antonio is that guy. I mean, he he." He fought 10 people at one time and put two of them in the hospital. Like, Antonio, like, he's going he's gonna to kill this kid. And so after school comes, and, and obviously I'm, we're waiting for the bus and all that kind of stuff, but everybody goes to gather because it's about to go down. Antonio is about to crush this dude because Antonio is the guy. And so the guys, the the two guys, Antonio gathers and this this tall, skinny, scrawny guy gather and they gather in the middle. Everybody's gathered around like, oh man, it's going to go very, very bad. And so they start standing there, right? You remember how it was when when school fights were about to go down, people just start standing there just talking noise to each other. And folks are like, man, come on, man. Like my bus is about to leave. Like you need to do something. And so they're just standing there talking noise to each other and, and, and going at it. Finally, this tall, skinny, scrawny guy Grabs Antonio by the head and headbutts him. Just boom. Antonio's head cocks back, blood gushes out, tears come down his eyes, and Antonio runs away. Imagine the shock of the entire school. We were like, "Wait a second. That wasn't supposed to happen, because Antonio is the guy. Nobody messes with Antonio. He fought 10 guys at one time and put two of them in the hospital. Like, nobody's supposed to do that to Antonio. And here this skinny, scrawny kid headbutts him one time, and Antonio runs away and leaves. That messed me up, yo. I ain't going to front, man. That messed me up. Like, for months, people talked about that. They were like, man, this is the same guy that said all this stuff and made all these claims about himself, but when he was truly tested, We found out that the claims that he was making about himself weren't really true. And that was just the fifth grade, but that spoke a lot to me. Now ever since the fifth grade, when people make claims about themselves, sometimes I look at them sideways like, are you for real? Because I remember Antonio. (laughs) Antonio made a lot of claims too, but he didn't meet he didn't meet the criteria, like he didn't, he didn't live up to the, to, the, to the claims he was making. And so, and so now, I, everybody, people, they make claims about themselves. I'm always wondering, like, man, well, we'll see. Time will tell. Well, today we're talking on the subject, Jesus as God, and we're going to talk about the claims that Jesus himself has made, the claims that he himself has made, that he himself is God. And so what I want to do is at first I want to talk about what the Bible says, because I don't want to give you my opinion. I don't want to give you just my personal view. I, I want you to see what the Bible says. And so I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. That, and look, man, I can't encourage you enough. Please take notes. Like, please take notes. Like some of y'all don't take notes. And I'm just assuming y'all got like the best memory ever. But I know that's not true. I know that's not true. So, so man, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to take notes and, and, and put it in your phone, whatever it is, because I, I, want, you to, I want you to go throughout your week and just kind of feast on this throughout the week because I, I, I want you uh, to be able to walk out of here confidently knowing that the claims that Jesus has made are true. And so if you have your Bible, go me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can look on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. Say the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Let's jump down to verse 14. The Word. Say the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we read those five verses And what we see here, what the Bible is telling us is that Jesus has always been. Jesus did not just first appear on the scene uh, in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus did not just first appear on the scene as as a baby. That was his entrance into the earth as, as as, as, as a man in the flesh, but Jesus has always been. Because verse 14 tells us that this word that we're talking about became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son. So it's talking about Jesus. And so if we were to go back and read verse 1 again, and we were to place, replace the word with Jesus, this is how it would read. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So I'm just giving you just some foundation here that we can see that Jesus was at creation. Jesus was at the beginning of all things. That's why in Genesis 1.26, when God is, is creating man, he says, let us, plural, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. Us in our, who was God referring to? He was talking about God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were all present at creation. Jesus has always been. He's always been. There was nothing made without Jesus. Nothing created without Jesus. And so that's just a few verses just to give you a glimpse into what the Bible says about Jesus, that he's always been, that he was present at creation, that he is God. But then we move on to see what does Jesus say about himself? We hear what the Bible says. We hear what is said about him. But what does Jesus himself make the claims about him be? In John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. John 14, 6 and 7, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes on to say, if you know me... You know my Father. And so now Jesus is making these claims now that, hey, me and the Father are one. If you know me, if you see me, you see God. And so he's making these bold claims, and that's what a lot of the religious leaders had a problem with. Because Jesus was making the claims that he is God. He was making the claims that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus wasn't crucified because he was kind to people. He wasn't crucified because he worked miracles. He wasn't crucified because he fed the poor. He wasn't crucified for those. He was crucified because of his claims. They like the Jesus that is kind. They, they like the Jesus that works miracles. They, they like that they're, they're okay with them, but they were trying to figure out ways. They're like, wait a second. All that, I, I can see where that's cool, but, but man, this guy's saying that he's the son of God. This guy's saying that he's the Messiah. And so they had a problem with it. In Matthew chapter 26 says the high priest said to him, this is, this is before he's about to be crucified. They are interrogating Jesus. It says, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. In verse 64, he says, you have said so. In other words, what you say is true. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Jesus is making these claims. Jesus is making these very bold claims. So we see what the Bible says, and then now we see what Jesus is saying about himself. And then one day, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, his friends. And he said, hey, man, I, I know there's a buzz going on about me, about my ministry and such. I know people are talking about me. And so he asked his disciples... Mark 8, 27 and 29 says, Jesus and the disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? He says, what are people saying about me? And the disciples begin to list some things. Well, they think you're Elijah. They think you're this prophet. They think you're this, you're that. All these different things. And, and, and the same can be said for, for our time and our day and age. Jesus, I believe, is asking the same question. Man, who do people say that I am? How do people view me? Do they view me as a friend? Do they view me as a, as, as a healer? Do they, do they view me as a shepherd? Like, like, how do people view me? What are they saying about me? And if we were to look in our culture today, some of the most popular religions of the world, most of which have Jesus intertwined in their religion, most of which have Jesus intertwined in their faith. But can I tell you something? most of these religions outside of the Christian faith don't have Jesus on the throne. A lot of these religions have Jesus as a good moral teacher. Yeah, Jesus, oh yeah, yeah, that guy, yeah, he's a good moral teacher. He's a moral man. He's a good man. Some see Jesus as, as powerful. They see him as some sort of a, a deity. In fact, I believe it's, it's Hindus. They, they believe Jesus is a God, but he's a God amongst other gods. He's just one of many. And so we begin to see how how the world religions begin to view Jesus, and they begin to view him as a teacher, as a prophet, as a good man, as a good moral man. And so we see what the world is saying about Jesus. But none of those descriptions put Jesus on the throne above all. And so now Jesus, talking with his disciples, he says, okay, I know what they're saying about me. He says, now my question to you is, who do you say that I am? What do you say about me? And I believe, again, the same question is posed to all of us here in this sanctuary this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Is he a good moral teacher? Maybe he is a deity. Maybe he is a god, but maybe he's just one of many other gods. Was he just a good man? And again, as I said at the beginning, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where, where, where the line is drawn in the sand because, because the way the world views Jesus oftentimes does not line up with the claims that he's made about himself. I have friends of other religions. I have Muslim friends. I've had Hindu friends. I've had people that believe all these different things. And and it gets really tricky sometimes when when the, the topic of faith or religion comes up because at the end of the conversation, sometimes they'll go like this. Well, at the end of the day, we all worship the same God. Like, that's, that's, that's the world's communication about God, about Jesus. Well, well at the end of the day, we, we all worship the same God. We're all going to the same place. So, so that's, the, that's, the, that's the unity we have. That's the agreement that we have. And to be honest, many within our faith, within the Christian faith, would be like, well, yeah, I just don't really want to stir up anything. So, yeah, you know what? We all worship the same God. I heard a quote a few weeks ago that said that Christians have learned just to say enough to not be persecuted. We've learned just to say enough to not offend anybody. We've learned just to say enough to not be persecuted or ridiculed for what we believe. And so oftentimes when it's presented to you that, hey, we all serve the same God, what should be asked is, okay, but does your God look like Jesus? Because Jesus himself has said, I and the Father are one. Jesus himself has said, if you know me, then you know the Father. But many people want to view God where Jesus is not on the throne. Whether Muslim, whether Hindu, whether Buddhist, whatever the case may be, we don't all view Jesus the same. And so again, my question to you is, Who do you say that Jesus is? Not in here. We we sing songs of praise. We sing songs of worship. We declare Jesus as king in here. But out there, who do we say that Jesus is? We know what the Bible has said about him. We know what he has said about himself. And so the next time someone says, hey, man, we all worship the same God, what are you going to say? Now, I will say this, there is a way to say it without being a jerk about it. There is a way to communicate that is kind, that is loving. But at the end of the day, truth is truth. What is your truth? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe the claims that he's made about himself? Do you believe what the Bible says about him? Who do you say I am? I want to know what you think about me. I want to know your view about me. Author C.S. Lewis author of the book, Mere Christianity, he, he, he makes this statement, and I want you just to really pay attention to his statement here. He says this, he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. And they say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any other patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. I hope you're following that. What he's saying is, look, this same person that has made the claims that he is God is the same person that many of these other religions are saying, well, he's just a good moral teacher. But historically it is proven, even outside of the Bible, that there was a man named Jesus who made these claims that he was the Son of God. There was a man named Jesus who made these claims that he was the Messiah. There was a man named Jesus who declared that he and the Father are one. And this is the same man that they say is a good teacher. This is the same man that they say is a good prophet. But this good prophet or this moral teacher who makes those claims, according to the quote we just read, it either makes him a liar, where he's just deceiving everybody. That's not a good moral teacher. That's not a good man. Or makes him a lunatic. It makes him crazy. He's delusional. Well, that doesn't make him a good man or a moral teacher. That's not anybody I would want to follow. So either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. He's either one of those three options. So the next time somebody makes the claim, well, no, Jesus really isn't Lord, but he he was a good man who walked the earth or whatever. Well, that same good man is the one that made all these claims. Who do you say that he is? Is he Lord? Is he Lord? And another question I have for you, are you prepared with an answer? Are you prepared? Are you prepared to communicate and even defend the fact that, hey, you know what? We actually don't really serve the same God. Because my God looks like Jesus. And your God doesn't even have Jesus on the throne. So there's two different gods we're talking about here. Jesus is God. And so all I want to do this morning is to compel you, encourage you, to know that you know that you know that Jesus is God. Is he truly Lord of your life? Do you really believe Jesus to be Lord? And let me just say this, just because you don't believe does not make him not Lord. He doesn't need your belief to be on the throne. He's Lord whether you believe it or not. But my hope this morning is that you would make him Lord of your life. That you would make him Lord of your life. And when you begin to see Jesus as God, when you begin to see Jesus as something more than just a friend, as something more than just a good shepherd, as something more than just some miracle worker, but you begin to see him as Lord. I believe there are things that can happen in your life. There are things that you can experience in your life when you make Jesus Lord. And I'm going to list out those three things in our, in our closing time together. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing you can experience once you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, is you get to experience his presence. You get to experience his presence. You get to experience a God who desires to be with you. i said it before, most other religions is about our effort and our strain to try to get to God but we just sang a few minutes ago that God would stop at nothing. There is nothing that would hinder him from chasing us. There is nothing that would hinder him from loving us. And so when you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, you get to experience the presence of the mighty God in your life. Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy, in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And so with the presence of God comes his peace. With the presence of God comes his joy. You get to walk through life knowing that the God of the universe is with you. You get to walk through life knowing you will never be alone again. When people will let you down, when people will abandon you, when people will not be there for you, you have a God that is always there for you. You get to experience his presence. Well, how do we get to do that? Through worship. See, when you're worshiping God, that is you acknowledging that he's there. See, what I'm... When I'm in the car by myself I don't just talk about how lovely and beautiful my wife is to myself oh Nancy's so beautiful oh Nancy's so lovely oh I just love Nancy. I don't say it to myself it doesn't benefit anything for me just to say that in the car by myself but when I say it to her it does something When I acknowledge her beauty, when I acknowledge how much I love her, when I acknowledge how awesome she is, man, it is acknowledging the fact that she is with me. And so when we worship God, we are acknowledging the fact that He is in the room. We are acknowledging the fact that He is with us. Whether we do it corporately together on a Sunday morning or whether whether you're worshiping alone in your car, you are acknowledging that he is right there with you. You get to experience his presence. You get to experience the presence of the true and living God. He makes that available to us. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He's near. He's present. With that comes joy. With that comes peace. We get to experience his presence. The second thing we get to experience when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord is we get to experience his power. Say power. Acts one says that the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying you will receive power. You will receive this, 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 this dynamite TNT uh, uh, explosion of power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Can you imagine walking with that type of power? And he may say, well, man, I don't, I don't see that type of power in my life. Is Jesus really Lord of your life? A lot of the lack of power that you don't experience is because you don't acknowledge him as Lord of your life. He wants you to walk in power. He wants you to walk in confidence. He he wants you to walk in boldness. He wants you to walk through life knowing that he is with you. He wants you to walk through life knowing that there is power on the inside of you. He wants you to walk through life knowing that you can share your faith boldly with somebody. He wants you to walk through life knowing that you have so much power that you can go to somebody who's sick in their body, lay hands on them, and watch them be healed. Like, that's real power. But when he's Lord of your life, then and only then can you experience his power. Why? Because he's God. His presence and His power. That's what making Him Lord of your life comes with. And the third and final thing you get to experience when Jesus becomes Lord of your life is you get to experience His salvation. And this is probably the greatest and most wonderful gift we could ever receive. Romans 10, 9 says that if you declare with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. He said if you declare with your mouth, not just say it. See, when you make a declaration, it's not just you saying it. But when you make a declaration, you are saying it with Conviction. You are saying it with conviction. You are saying it. You are declaring Jesus is Lord. When you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Declaration and belief. It says when you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What? You will be saved. That's the only prerequisite for salvation. Declaring that he is Lord, believing in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you are saved. This morning, I want to give somebody an opportunity to declare Jesus as Lord. declare him as Lord, to believe within their heart that he's been raised from the dead. This morning I want somebody to experience his salvation for the very first time. But my question to all of us is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he Lord? Not just by words. Not just by words, but in how we live. See, when he is Lord of your life, he's not just Lord over a fraction of your life. Lord, I give you my Sunday mornings. You got my Sunday morning. But even that, you only get the morning because the cowboys start at noon or three o'clock and like, you know. Lord, I, I, I give you, I give you maybe Wednesday night. I give you that. But when He is Lord He wants to be Lord over all. He wants to be Lord over everything. Not just a fraction of your life. He wants to be Lord over your whole life. He wants to be Lord over your marriage. He wants to be Lord over your family. He wants to be Lord over your finances. He wants to be Lord over your career. He wants to be Lord of all. And it's then and only then that you can experience His presence, His power, and His salvation